0: Hello, and welcome to The Screen Composer Studio, a podcast about the musical storytellers behind some of your favorite films, shows, video games, and more. I'm your host, Adrian Ellis. Ottawa-born Laura Bidner combines her background as a singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, as well as her affinity for folklore and her music for screen, which includes BBC Family Channel series Mallory Towers, miniseries Hogtown, feature thriller Don't Click, and Family Channel series Ruby and the Well, which she co-composes with Rob Carley. The four-time SoCAN Foundation Award winner completed a Bachelor's of Music from Carleton and a Master's of Music Technology from the University of Toronto, and is an artist in her own right who released the critically acclaimed album To The North in 2015 and is currently working on a new one. We talk about the surprising film score touchstone that we both share as a favorite, the demanding high school program that got her started writing music early, and the winding educational journey where she overcame tremendous obstacles toward a career as a singer-songwriter. In the end, she returned to her first passion, scoring for film and TV. Since then, Laura's graduated from the Canadian Film Centre's Slate Family Music Lab, preparing her for the real-life pressures of being a screen composer. We talk about the joys and struggles of her recent projects, how she manages the interpersonal aspect, and how folk music and her voice become part of her scores. Laura's new challenge is as a parent, where she juggles the demands of motherhood with a busy scoring career. She offers valuable perspective for anyone who's thinking about or living in that tricky balance. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a rating and sharing the episodes with your friends and followers. It really helps us grow and share the stories of these amazing creators. And now, please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Laura Bidner. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> Great to see you. After uh, you know, it's 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 been a while. We only got to see each other uh, in person after very many years of being apart. In this yes. Uh, Crazy pandemic. Um, it was nice. We uh, we had the, the Chasmas, the first uh, inaugural Canadian Screen Music Awards that happened about a week ago. Yeah. What was your experience there? How, what, did, what did you think?
1: Oh, it was so fun. It was just a blast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't been in Toronto in two years or, yeah, close to two years. So it was just so fun to see everybody. And I thought it was beautifully planned. I, I was really impressed. Great venue. Just great vibes all around. Yeah. And... uh yeah it was just an exciting time
0: big congrats to erica Percunier for putting that together with her partners and everyone at the guild including tanya dedrick our managing director it was a beautiful night it was great to see everybody there's so many faces i haven't seen in so long and uh you know the first time that the canadian screen music industry anyways has gotten together and celebrated uh one another so that was really nice yeah um <laughs> this is this is, uh, never really come up, but one of the inspirations you mentioned uh, in an interview that I read was the Never Ending Story, uh, and you mentioned the music, and I, I, it's one of those things for me. Like, I, I don't really speak about that much. Like, there's a few scores that I'm like really hot on that not many other people think are like really great. But the Never Ending Story is one. Uh, yes. The other one is uh, Romeo's Bleeding. Uh, which I really love. That's a Mark Isham Isham score from way back in the day. I just think it's so cool. You know, you have these weird touchstones, but... what is it about the Neverending Story? Like that's that's a okay. really cool one. Like I think about this story, I'm like, dee, 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 dee,
1: dee, dee. oh you know, yes, like... so good. Oh, but there's actually so many good moments. Um, so first of all, like this is a big one because our basically our family morals are built off of the Neverending Story. Really? Like if okay. oh yes, like we watch that movie every Christmas. Is there ever a problem? My dad's like, well, what would Inkebach do? What would wow. what would uh, Atreyu do? Like it's just there's so many spiritual levels to the Neverending Story, and so that's just a family movie for us that. It's like one of my favorite movies, for sure. Oh,
0: that's so cool.
1: So, um, but yeah, it's just so magical and so many like da, 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 da. There's so many good moments and and, and great melodies. So I don't know. I just, we love that, that movie.
0: Is that a, is that a touchstone for you in terms of like uh, having a sense of what you wanted to do eventually or like music connecting with story?
1: Probably, yes. I think that I focus so much on the movie itself that, that I feel like that came later, like the whole movie is just so inspiring and gets you so excited that for sure that that must've been a part of my like love for film and music.
0: It's an, it's, I mean, for me, I think we're, we're a few years apart. Uh, so I was of the age when that movie came out to be sort of like in the prime audience for that. So I, I remember watching it sort of shortly after it came out. I don't know if I saw, I don't think I saw it in the theaters, but I did, saw it on TV when it, when it sort of went into syndication uh, and part of what just fascinated me was the practical effects, which you don't see very much anymore. I mean, first of all, it's that storytelling where it's like a story about a story. And yeah. it's this magical land. So and like, cool. there's so many interesting themes and tropes that, you know, I just, I wonder, actually, I had a, a conversation with, um, well, sort of the a friend and his daughter, who's 10. And I wanted to know, like. Do you have, I wanted to know, like, and I don't even know if anyone can really answer this accurately because it's like you're asking someone to do the impossible, which is like, can you feel the way I felt when I was your age back in the 80s? Like, that's not possible. But I wonder if kids have the same reaction to these kinds of things where it just stays with you for the rest of your life. Like, if you see a movie now as a kid, does it stay with you the way it stayed with us?
1: You mean if they saw The NeverEnding Story as a a kid? No, I would because there's so much stuff. Yeah, there's, no, I know. I if,
0: if you don't like this movie today, tomorrow there'll be another movie that's just as insanely crazy and good. You yeah. Know, like you think about how much stuff comes out and it's like all of it is highly impressive. All of it is visually stunning. Yeah. Uh, but it's like I, I just wonder, like, you know, something like the never ending story when those practical effects, like all the stuff they do with the puppetry and the forced so perspective cool. where things look so huge, you know, with the rock eater and you're like just thinking, oh, how did they, I, you know, I thought that thing was as big as they made it look. And the gmork. is <laughs> so crazy. The wolf. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, my God. Terrifying. Terrifying.
1: Terrifying. And Nightmare. the amazing sphinxes, like just the majesty of it all and the mystery. I, I just, it's such a great story.
0: Did your, I'm assuming your, your family introduced that uh, that film to you based on their experience when they were younger watching that
1: i don't even actually know I, that that's like that is like a foundation of the family and that's all i know like everyone's like want to watch an w- everything story yes
0: right or was it that you were running away from bullies one day and found yourself in the in the upper part of the library with a book in, or a vhs machine yeah like, well, let's watch this oh. film And <laughs> magically <laughs> another big touchstone for you is the coen brothers right like you're you're really into coen which to yeah. me seems like where Such did you a, read
1: this? Where did I have this written down? You like know
0: what's... I, I, have, uh, I have my sources like you know, little little minions that go around and find out information.
1: That's so funny. I do love <laughs> a lot of the Coen Brothers movies. No Country for Old Men is one of my favorite movies. Right. It actually has no score, which is funny. It um, does
0: actually have a score. It's well, just, it's so like part of the land. And I think that... Uh, really? Yeah, Carter oh, Burwell talks about these. He said they wanted a score that sounds like it emanates from the... Uh, from the uh, landscape itself, so it's almost indistinguishable from just the sound of the atmosphere of the film.
1: Okay, I did not know that. I thought yeah. there was only score at the end, and I did not know there was any music. So that's really cool that you say that because I, I I thought it was a note. I thought it was like the birds where there's no right.
0: score. Right? Yeah. Well, the birds also has a score. That's the other weird oh. thing. things yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's well, something that a lot of people don't know.
1: Okay, well, I got it all wrong then. It was almost like a
0: weird, like the birds is one where they actually had bird sounds when they were playing it with this weird, like proto synth. It was like an organ, but it also was like a synthesizer that you could like feed material into and play it back. And a lot of that stuff is actually like not natural, song- organic bird sounds, but it's like processed through this crazy machine.
1: That's very cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to rewatch both of these now. The closer <laughs> here
0: and who knows i could be wrong memory is so faulty so i i uh, mia colba if i'm wrong on that but the, the coen brothers there's there's sort of um there feels like there's a there's a thread there well it's really interesting first of all because you have this like one touchstone which is so fantastical and you have this other touchstone which is very folkloric it's very about like sort of Mexico. down to, yeah it's down to earth characters it's people that you recognize on the street that's sort of an every person kind of kind of experience what is it about those films that attracts you
1: I like the well, the Coen Brothers movies. I guess it's like that. I guess it's morbid humor, like that. It's because Fargo is kind of funny, right? It's funny, super funny. But it's but it's so dark too, and it's also that music is is heart wrenching. I love the music, and it's it's a it's a folklore, uh, like the melody da 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 da. That's actually like a an old folk melody. Did you know that? I know. Yeah, I, I, because I was, I, I, I was like, wow, what an incredible melody. So he, he used that as part of the score, which is kind of cool. Um, but I don't know, something. There's, there's also just beautiful cinematography. Like you can just picture that that uh, image where he's walking out to his car, and it's like that long shot, and it's just like, right. it just, it, it totally depicts the isolation he feels, like his aloneness, and. Like the, just the, the pitifulness, like it's such a, he's such a pitiful character that the main character who, you know, gets right. himself into a lot of trouble. It's just, it's just, I just love the symbolism embedded with the story, embedded with the acting, but it just all comes together. They really just do a great job.
0: Is Carter Burwell one of your sort of touchstone composers?
1: Yeah. He also did the score for another movie I really love, uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I think it's okay. called. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being, watching that, and I was like, "Is this Carter Burwell, because it really just something about it, and it sure enough was, and yeah, he does have some something about there's a signature there that is really cool, and yeah, um, yeah he's an amazing composer
0: he's he's got a very unique voice uh, there's no mistaking his sort of harmonic movement and the kinds of things that he does. Mm-hmm. What kind of music did you listen to growing up like what was it what was the uh, musical? life of your family was is it a musical family where you sort of introduced things early on
1: yeah well my dad was so passionate about playing piano so a lot of I feel like a lot of my passion just came naturally from just watching his love for music and uh, he actually like taught himself piano at mm-hmm. 30 and got really good and actually himself is a really amazing composer he he made it a hobby for himself but uh, and I wouldn't say this like if, if my dad sucked I would just say I just wouldn't say anything. <laughs> but, but he actually has written some really beautiful pieces. So it, oh, so it's he's a writer. He, he composed yeah, as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, and some really beautiful stuff. So for sure, my writing style even for sure comes from watching my dad just jam out and jamming with him. We would like race each other to the piano. That's how like oh, it was, wow. you know. So there was definitely uh, a lot of love for music instilled in just him and my sister playing. And then we had like Portuguese Fado in the house good amount of that. And then we had a lot of like Eminem and all the rap stuff and all the hip hop (laughs) because I had older sisters right? and and our family just loved also just like the top 40 stuff. So I also have a a big love for hip hop and rap.
0: I, I read somewhere that it said you grew up playing piano and percussion. What kind of percussion was it that you were playing?
1: Yeah. So because I went to an elementary school that had these amazing volunteers, Mr. Laver and Mr. Purdy, and they had all these bands for us, and I was in all of them. I was okay, so wow. gung ho. I was in there was like a bongo bang boom band, which is a hand drum band. There was <laughs> there was like an advanced percussion band, which is advanced for you know grade sixes. There was a drumline band. There was grade seven eight band. There was jazz band. I was in all of them, so I basically did not have recess, and I didn't care. I really <laughs> I loved it. So yeah, I played I played percussion. I played bells and the drum set and uh, like snare. And I just had a lot of fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've, you, you play hang drum as well, right? You play, you're actually pretty proficient in the hang drum.
1: I, well, I mean, in my own little way, um, I, yeah, I do have a hang drum. And I haven't picked it up in a long time. It's funny you even mention it because it's like sitting right over there. I'm like, oh, yeah, the hang drum. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's so funny how you, you get so busy and then you kind of don't play...
0: I'm surprised you don't use it in your scores all the time because the hang drum is such a like, or it seems to me right now, certainly to such a cinematic uh, or such a usable instrument in film scoring.
1: It is. I would say it is. The the issue with mine is, and I hate to say it, but I need a better one. Okay. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And I have found some really cool stuff with it, but I've played the pan art ones, for example. Um, those are like the originals, I think. But there's another one that's from America. I forget what it's called. But I was actually um I've tried one of those too, and this is so just the resonance is like amazing, which mine doesn't really have. So Okay. Um, I have done some recordings with it. It's like on I don't know where it is. I think it's on SoundCloud or something. But um yeah, I just it just never it just never happened. I do all my live shows. It's like a hang drum. We do a fun like hip hop jam with the hang sure. drum and yeah. that. But it just, um, whenever someone's asked about it, I'm like, sure, I'll try the hang drum. And then I never end up putting it in. <laughs>
0: that's so interesting because I yeah. almost have to like uh, go, OK, that's enough. No, don't do it. enough like you have to like limit the amount you put this in because it's so uh, it's such an uh it's sort of like a go-to right you're like you will want something percussive that moves along kind of drives things forward and has tone perfect (laughs) you know what it's
1: true i probably should have given it more of a chance
0: um and you can process the heck out of it too right like i know they just make it sound like a non-organic thing do you do you know about the pan art? i don't know if it's if that's the whatever the original i think it's pan art yeah the guy those those guys that lived in like well, yeah, they, they lived in in uh, where Switzerland or something like that, right? I
1: think it is Switzerland. Um, it's funny. I like did a whole project on the hang drum in, okay. in university, and I forget everything. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's it's like it's it's like from like they took like two different instruments, like the African udu, and then mm-hmm. the steel drums, right? Uh, like the you know, and they kind of combine that. So it does right. have a really cool sound. It has that kind of watery sound and. Um,
0: Yeah, it looks like a UFO, so it looks really cool in the studio.
1: Yeah, or a barbecue, you know. Did you
0: know what it took to get one back in the day from those original guys? Did you ever hear about that? You must have known that from the from the studio, right? I forget. They were like, "Okay, we'll we'll build you one." It cost an enormous amount of money. It was like extremely expensive to start, and then they're like, "But you have to come and live with us." So, fly out here on your own dime. Stay oh. with, like, we'll put you up. You have to pay a little bit to be put up. But, like, you have to spend a week with them while they built it for you. They were, like, I did not really particular.
1: I'm not surprised it. that, like, I feel like, oh, that's that's wonderful. I think that's cool. But because I know that they don't allow you, you can't resell them, for example. Right. Yes. And it's very precious. And they stopped making them. And they had started having, uh, like, distribution houses around the world and they closed them all up.
0: Because they right. couldn't
1: it, they said they couldn't um ensure the like product uh you know yeah. couldn't ensure that it was the product they wanted to release right so that, that there's like a scarcity of course you know wow
0: imagine having that kind of integrity all right it's almost an obsessive level of integrity <laughs> like yeah. i don't even care about making money i don't even care about this business continuing that's it we're done
1: They are really amazing how I got I saw it I was in Peru when I was 18 I did a two month trip to Peru and this girl came in with one and I was like whoa what is that and I just like went up to her I probably creeped her out because I came really close I was like can I play your drum thing anyways and then I I was like I have to have one I scoured everywhere for one um and mine's an Italian one it's called Disco Monaco. but um yeah they're they're very cool. And I had a lot of fun. I was addicted to mine. Like, I did play it all the time, bust everywhere. Uh huh. But I just never incorporated it into my scores. It just never happened.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Do you, I mean, from your sort of earlier days, like childhood or maybe teen years, was there a point at which you kind of knew that music was going to be the thing you'd be doing as a profession or as a creative career?
1: I knew that I wanted to be a film score composer when I was really young, actually. Like, really? I, yeah. And it was... and. I mean, I don't know exactly when, but I remember my dad showed me Schindler's List. Okay. And that blew me away. And he, I don't remember how old I was, maybe 10, 11. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But I remember I was like, whoa. I just I just I just loved that melody. I went and learned it on the piano and I just would I just like that was like I wanna do that. That was it.
0: That's interesting because if I track your career, at least the way it appears from everything that I've looked at and read, it seems that you sort of very much follow a singer songwriter uh, path rather than oh, this is what I want to do.
1: It's funny, I know it seems that way, but it's not that way because I started as a composer, and that was all I did. I didn't even play guitar or sing anything like that. And in Uh high school, I went. I went to Canterbury High School where I was in the violin program.
0: And this is in Ottawa, right? This
1: is in Ottawa, yeah. Okay. So I actually, to get into this program, they didn't accept piano, which was my main instrument, and I knew it wasn't good enough for percussion. I knew I, I played saxophone too, it wasn't good enough. And then they're like, tell her, to, they told me, take up the violin.
2: <laughs> yeah, no and,
1: problem. And, and they accept you based on uh, your aptitude because they accept more violin players, though.
0: But oh, you, you know, violin's are really okay, hard right. instrument to
1: play, though. So I was sure. like, "What?" So, yeah. anyways, we like crash course. Me, I had I think two months to prepare for the audition. I had to have like a you know, whatever. I did the minuet in G, I think, bunch Good of scales. Lord. And we got me a teacher, and I was like hell bent. I was like, "I want to go to Canterbury. I'm gonna play the violin like best I can play it." So yeah. they, but they, so they knew that I was not at the level like in my class was actually like a total virtuoso like a real virtuoso so okay, they had yeah. all levels they had like a little yeah. silly laura unable to <laughs> hold her bow properly
0: <laughs> right and
1: then uh, but anyways i worked really hard and i got kind of good after two years of being in the program that's and they, so they yeah, they accepted me based on potential basically and i you know just my like gumption
0: so oh, sorry what grade does that start
1: that was high school so that's going into grade nine
0: And so the
1: the point of me bringing that up is I knew that was a multidisciplinary program. I knew that I'd get to collaborate with everybody and I knew that I wanted to just play music all the time. So I got Mm -hmm. into that that school and then I wrote music for all the, I wrote music for the dancers, for the plays, um... And I just like soaked it up. We, it, it, I look back on those years with such fondness. We all talk about it whenever we get together. It's oh, like, wow. it, was, it was kind of magical. We, we were in a cool group of kids that just that did all kinds of fun uh, performances and, and uh, yeah, there was some really cool stuff. And then I did the songwriting at the, at the
0: end. Okay, and what prompted that?
1: I just, I also liked that. And, and um, like it just naturally came because, you know, you're jamming at the fire, you pick up a guitar. Okay. And so, yeah, I, I learned the guitar and just, I just started doing that. I made like a little album at the end of my school year that I just recorded. Wow. Like in the last two weeks of school, I remember I just like recorded one of those mini Zoom things. Mm hmm. Um, anyways. So I did that, and at no intention of that becoming a thing, because I'm really not um, like I love performing, but like I'm not really gifted in that area. My life just fell into it. I yeah. my my brother gave my CD to the owner of the Black Sheep. He, for some reason, really loved it or loved me, and just kept on bringing me on to open for his for his artists. Yeah. And like one of my first shows was opening for Craig Cardiff, and it was a full house. Wow. Was like me and my little ukulele. I had no idea. <laughs> like I remember. Also, do I, I remember? I didn't know how shows worked, so I, right. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna play the piano." I just dropped my ukulele, go play the piano, and Paul's like, "You have to tell us before you play piano. We don't have it <laughs> mic'd up." <laughs> so he was like totally caught off guard. Right. Anyways, so anyways, I just got it because I I kind of got brought into it, and then I just had a lot of fun doing it. But I yeah. I always knew it was always like, "How do I become a film score composer? How do oh, I that's do this?" So and I could never figure. It was a whole roundabout way. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, you follow the momentum, which I think a lot of us do. You're just like, well, this is this has energy right now and it's interesting and I like it. So why not just keep going down this route? There's nothing, there's no harm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I want to go back to this, the whole idea though, <laughs> that the, your primary instrument, the piano, was not something you could actually enter the program with. And so you had to crash course for two months of, of, of one of the probably most difficult instruments there. I mean, like a piano, <laughs> yeah. you want to go, like I always think about this, like, Even with guitar, I mean, it's harder to play a note on guitar than it is to play on the piano, but, I mean, unless you're talking about open strings, but never mind. If you just go up to the piano and you play a note, okay, someone can teach you to play a triad in less than five minutes and you've got a triad. Yeah. And even more, you could probably play a triad and maybe a few notes as a melody. Well, like the violin, like, forget it. You're going to sound like, you know, a donkey's ass for, like, I mean, a year, maybe more, you know? I used to take classical guitar lessons and, and all the, you know, the wangers around me were all people like these kids playing violin. It was just, it was like cats being tortured all around me. Anyways, two nightmares, that, two reoccurring nightmares I have. One is I'm back in the kitchen cooking. And the other one is I'm up for a gig and I don't, I don't know what the music is. I don't know. Like I'm on stage and I don't know what the set list is. I don't know what we're playing. And we're usually playing some really complicated stuff. I'm like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. And it's so anxiety producing.
1: I've had the nightmares
0: too. And you, <laughs> And you do this thing where you, are like, pick up an instrument you haven't played before, and in two months, you're going to go and do a, uh, like, you know, a, essentially a jury. Like, you're going to be standing in front of people who are judging you to play this instrument. Like that's I was a, very
1: nervous. I knew I did a pretty good job, though. I actually was quite like, I was like, wow, I can play this piece. Right. Um, eventually, I got terrible tendonitis, though, because the thing is, I don't know if you can actually learn the violin at a later age. I don't, unless you really focus on your technique and are, like the first two years of me playing violin, I did play minimum two hours a day. I played a lot. Mm
0: -hmm. I I would
1: play sometimes like four or five hours. Yeah. But then once I got into like grade 11 and 12, I didn't play as much. Technique fell apart. It's not ingrained in you. But when you learn when you're like five years old, it like, it's a part of the, like how your body has, like, I, I think it's very important to pick up those instruments when you're very young. I don't, i'm not an expert but i think i actually think that having learned it as like a 14 year old girl it's like it was kind of like impossible to keep it up without like being really a stickler
0: that's interesting
1: um, and maybe that they're sticklers too the people get really good
0: i started with like you know folk guitar rock guitar or whatever you want to call it and then i moved into classical guitar and i had the same issue i had tendonitis and i had like had to go into do rehab and everything for my wrist. First of all, very bad positions for your hands to be in, and your wrists to be in, and your elbows to be in. Your whole body's kind of like contorted around the violin. But also, yeah. if you're like doing two months of intense studying, suddenly you're doing this thing, and you're you're like full of like uh, nervous energy. That's not a great way to do it either, because the whole point is to try and do this contortion and be relaxed at the same time.
1: Well, you know what's funny about that though? I was so nervous, finished the audition, and. Uh, my my teacher, who eventually became my teacher, knocked <laughs> the bridge off the violin. So I'm already like nerves are just whoa, uh, and so it was total accident. He accidentally yeah, yeah, knocked yeah, yeah. it, and I burst into tears in the audition. I was like I was like so shook, and uh, they went and got me another violin, <laughs> and <laughs> Cause I think there was actually a few more scales to do. <laughs> but I still laugh about that because um it that was just really funny.
0: Well you must I, I the the real question I have about this whole experience is it must have set you up in some way to go you know what what seems impossible or what seems like a an, in, in like an unconquerable mountain uh of doing something like that especially in our line of work, I think we're asked to do those kinds of things so often where it's like, Oh yeah, we're throwing into something where you don't know how to do this kind of music. Or you're like, here's the deadline. You're like, I'm supposed to produce this much music in this amount of time in this style that I've never done. Like, you know, we're sort of always being asked to do these things that must have somehow uh, prepared you or given you some sense of like confidence that going forward, you'd be able to reproduce this kind of heroic act.
1: Probably. Um, and you know, I also just I mean, I wouldn't I don't I don't know if I'd call it because I did they did tell me they accept people based on potential and I knew yeah. that I had an aptitude for music. Sure. But um but I always was an improviser. Like I would do when I was a kid do performances and I would just go up and play. Like I would just play whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. Like just write stuff, that, you know, improvising. So yeah. I I also just like naturally I, that I'm cool with. Like I don't yeah. I don't get too nervous. I was more nervous about my driving test than any of my exams, my violin like Just improvise exams. with the
0: car. Improvise your way around this traffic.
1: Yeah. No, I was losing my mind about my driving test. And I was like, mm. I've done like all these performance exams, never had this kind of anxiety, except like one or two. But yeah, yeah, anyways.
0: How does where you're sort of going with, with the singer song or anything, like are you um, for a time sort of pursuing that as a career? And how do you end up at Carlton, and then eventually uh, U of T.
1: It's so funny because I haven't thought about this in a while, but actually, I I got in as a composer in the composition program to Concordia, right mm. out of high school.
0: Okay, and wow. then
1: I had mental health issues, had basically a mental breakdown. And I had to leave within two months of being there. It also was really the wrong program. Um, I got, part of it was like, I got there and I was like, whoa, this is totally not what I wanted. I was so, Uh... and every person, every young person, I'm like, study your universities. Don't apply until you know it's, like, I just, (laughs) I totally messed up the applications. I just, I had, I was so naive. And I just, um... It was not the right school for me. And so I basically got there and I I got really depressed because I, for a number, there was all kinds of stuff, but long story short, I got in the composition program. I even got a scholarship, which made me feel really bad when I, Mm. when I left. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then I left and then I spent a year raising money to go to Peru, did that, did this awesome Peru trip. And then I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to get back into music. Went to Carlton part-time and took a few courses and, um, had a really nice meeting with Dr. Wright, who, I, he's like one of the heads of the program, and he was just so nice to me. He's like, we need composers, you should come to Carlton. Um, and he was, he was just really sweet to me. So I auditioned and decided to stay at Carlton. And they don't actually have a composition program, but um, I just found my way around and did stuff on the side. and. In many ways, it was a good thing because I was able to stay home, save money that way, have a piano fully at my disposal, because I don't know how, like, I'm the type of person who needs to write at like 2 in the morning. I can't go Mm. into a practice room and really get, like, I can't be scheduled, like some people. So actually, um, for many reasons, it worked out well for me. I went in as a piano major, two years in, switched to singer-songwriter, because that just made sense, because you get to make an album at the end. Okay. So I, again, it was one of those things like, oh, there's an opportunity. I write songs. I'll just do this. And that was my way. And my, my album, my demo that is, is now that album, the To the North album, because that's the demo, the demo was at university, was very uh, orchestral. Like I had chamber instruments. It was my way to get my compositions in and um, fit the program. I had an amazing vocal, vocal singer songwriter coach named Giselle Minns, who was just so lovely and a big part of university. When you look, like when I look back, I don't remember anything except the people that were so kind to me and like nurtured me and helped me through like all the stress you go through when you're, when you're working so hard at your music and you're trying to get good and like you suck for so long. And I I just, I think it's like a big part of my, like when I look back, it's, it's those memories of, of, um, you know, your mentors helping you and your teachers helping you that are the most important. Yeah.
0: Um, And this this sort of like uh, way that you work, you were describing saying that you have to have access to a piano and do something at two in the morning. Is that still something that sort of pervades in your in your in your workflow that you have to wait for something to arrive and it could arrive at any time and you just got to be ready to capture it?
1: Not necessarily now, because, you know, in our job, like, we, can't, we can't wait. We have to just write. So a lot of times you just have to, like, pull the trigger and, okay, this is what I'm going with. This is the idea that's come up. This is yeah. what I'm doing. Okay. And you have to be decisive. So uh, now I have, I, I've learned to get much better at just writing, because you do have those crazy deadlines. Yes. Um, but it, it wasn't that way before. It used to take me a lot longer to write. Um, and um, that was the case then. But now I still need to perfect it at 2 in the morning or I still need to continue writing it or fixing it. And I don't know that I, and also we're night owls. My family are all like, I, my dad was always playing at two in the morning and then I, right. we'd like switch off. So i that's just, I'm naturally <laughs> really that, like that would be a, you know, we'd wake up and someone would play the piano, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, I just, I, I, I liked writing at night a lot.
0: You know, something I just realized this is this kind of off topic. <laughs> In a way, but not really, is it if you, if I had flipped my camera the other way, you'd be looking at almost exactly the same scene. I have the same KRK speakers with the yellow things and I have a red wall behind. Oh, really? Like the whole, thing. our studios are almost identical. and I That's have like, so funny. I have some, are those, is that real plants in behind you or is that no. a fake plant wall, right? No, I have they're two just fake, I have fake plants on the sides here. So it's almost like we have a, we have a mirror studio in a weird way, like a dimensional mirror. That's
1: so funny. I've never seen that that uh like the other side of your studio yeah
0: no one's ever seen it. well that yeah no it appears in a few different select places if you look on youtube but you won't find it very often um so like do you think now look at thinking about your process and this idea that you switch from something where you were waiting for the muse to arrive or you needed to have this sort of process and now it's like nope we're done we're on a deadline uh you have to go with the idea that works do you th- do you have a different th- um perspective on what ideas are like what quality ideas are and 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 whether the first idea that comes to your mind that you end up working because you have to do you have a different perspective on what that means or do you think that the ideas you wait for if you work there's a way to work something until it becomes something that's really worthwhile
1: okay so i sometimes do go through like a bit of a trial and error process where i just like I just watch the video and I just play and I oftentimes just like thump around, make all kinds of mistakes. And then sometimes that one harmony, I'm like, ooh, that was cool. The way that went from that. And sometimes I'll just even pick and it's sometimes a mistake. I didn't mean to do that. Um, And sometimes I'll like, okay, I want to, I want to come there somehow. How do I start it? So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's that. I feel like there's many ways that I write then because uh, sometimes I do you know write it and the first demo is the one that i use so then and a lot of times it's that because you have no time so a lot of times mm. you do it you're like well that's it yeah get it get it in order and uh orchestrate it um so i th- the only time i guess where the second guessing comes in is just if it's just not working <laughs> so right. when when either the producers will tell you right then you yes. must redo it or or, yeah. or fix it and there's a lot yeah. of macgyvering sometimes they'll you, can, you know you know how we do it they say oh i want this changed and you just change as much as you 100%. think will fit the note right yep and yeah, oftentimes yeah. it is that oftentimes yep. it's, it's even just the tone maybe that they don't like mm. or and um that kind of thing i also find what helps a lot is muting a lot sometimes i throw the oh, whole yeah. kitchen sink in without even knowing it like ha mm-hmm. oh, i want the violins i want the cellos I, you just get so excited and then you realize <laughs> like you way over you've just gone way over drive and sometimes you just need like and violin (laughs) and a guitar you know so sometimes it's also good i i find it very useful to mute yeah if if something isn't working or if it's sounding really muddy okay what what do i need to cut out what's um what needs to be eq'd more or actually just go
2: yeah
1: so that's a a thing but yeah there's been a few times i mean many times where i will scrap a whole thing and but it's, it's really only if it's like dire like okay i really this is not what i want yeah. I'm going back to the first thing I did. But yeah. usually, I usually like you just kind of stick with it. Right. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that whole thing. I've, I've been thinking about that lately. What makes a screen composer specifically? And I think that I've sort of got this weird form of synesthesia where I connect things that don't connect together. Like, it's just a weird thing that I'm able to do. And it, it gets really extreme. Like, there is... Um, Yeah, I won't even get into it because it's it's too esoteric. It's like super weird where I can like say like, you know, the feeling of this material on my fader port is related to uh, the way that I feel when I look at this specific star, um, you know, the way that these stars fit together in the sky. Like there's a relationship with these. It's really bizarre. Um, but I that's think that's really one of the cool reasons though. why, like, whenever I sit down at the keyboard and I, I watch a scene, there's a feeling and I'm like, this is the feeling. And then when I get it on the keyboard, I'm like, that's the feeling. And there's no question in my mind. I'm just like, well, I'm just going to do this because that's obviously do- these two things are connected for me, at least.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
0: doesn't always work for other people. <laughs> that's, sort of the, that's sort of the problem with that method. It doesn't always translate. But oftentimes it does, at least in my, my particular weird way. This podcast is brought to you by the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, whose mission includes promoting the music, status, and rights of film, television, and media composers in Canada. Special thanks to the SOCAN Foundation for financial support. For more information on the SCGC, please visit screencomposers.ca and follow us online at Screen Composers. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at tscs at screencomposers.ca. And now, back to our show. You know, this podcast has featured a number of CFC grads, and I'm sure there's, uh, there's obviously a reason. They, they, they select and nurture uh, very, very extraordinary talent. You're no exception to that rule. What was your experience of that program, and, and what was sort of the major thing that you took away from them?
1: Best ever. Like, just, it was awesome. Um, it was the program I always wanted to be part of that I didn't mm. know existed until I... right came to toronto so yeah it was just awesome um so many amazing there's lots of seminars that i just like soaked up you get amazing mentors like tom third coolest dude ever um and you get to try a lot of stuff out because you get to compose for all these short films. I think I did in the end like 16 short films is what I wrote for. Holy smokes. Wow. It's a time where you can like try a lot of stuff out, try a lot of scenes that you're not used to. You know, there's some scenes for me at least that are so hard to score. Like at the beginning, at least for me, where like, I don't know how I'm going to score this. You have Mm. to score it and it makes you in this small amount of time score a lot of different kinds of scenes, comedy, weird, you know, dialogue scenes, horror stuff so it it um was a really great time to learn how to do that right and you still get the short timelines too and you get to go to the mixing houses yeah and i would say a big part of it too was getting to hear your stuff at the tiff light box yeah for me that was really helpful because a lot you're so self-conscious a bit you're like oh it's my my mix good i don't even know what i'm doing <laughs> but then you hear it at the theater and you're like whoa That sounded cool. Or if something was off, you know, you kind of know, but it it did give me a little boost of confidence because it actually sounded good. I remember the first showcase, I was like, whoa, I was so nervous. I thought it was going to sound, I was, you know, worried. And it was actually really fun. And uh, it was just like, it sounded cool.
0: I remember uh, the, the Screen Composers Guild of Canada runs an orchestral reading program. And I've sort of described it to other people as a safe space to make really extraordinary mistakes. And Lord knows I've probably made the most extraordinary mistakes there were to make. I've ground orchestras to a complete halt. I've, (laughs) you know, really just crashed and burned in the most spectacular way because I was too ambitious and didn't know enough to really make it work. Do you feel like the CFC was a safe space to make those kind of mistakes and to sort of come out on the other side?
1: That is the perfect way to say it. Um, I would say it still has high stakes in in some ways because you... You just want to do so well, right? It's, it's yeah. such a big opportunity. But it is... Um, like, it'll kick your ass. Like, it's, yeah. it's very intense. And um, you can be in the trenches sometimes of, of just being, you know... It's it's difficult, but that that's why it's so good. Is you come out of there and you know how to handle situations better... You, I've also gotten some amazing experiences where you get to write for some, like the directors were all so talented. Everybody, the editors, the producers, everybody was so insanely talented. So you get really good content too, Mm -hmm. which is really cool and really inspiring. Probably really
0: different personalities you have to learn to deal with as well and sort of go, oh, we work well together. This is the type of person I'll never work with again.
1: (laughs) Yep, you learn that. And we, I think we've all, we've all been through that where that's a big part of it, too. That's the one thing I try and tell people is yeah. it's okay for it not to go okay. Because yeah. it's, it's, it happens to everybody. And yeah. um, it's better to, for that to happen on a short film where, yeah, the stakes are low. than for you to get thrown into something that maybe, you know, you get your big break and then it's, you know... Sure. Um, you, you haven't had all these little experiences. So, yeah, so yeah in many ways, uh, that was great. Also, the orchestral re- recording session, awesome. Because... It's so hard to get that opportunity to write for a full orchestra, um, you know, and, and go to the you know, stage and record it. it. It's, it's a lot of work. And I did it, I paid for the, the year I wasn't in the CFC, I paid to be a part of it. Um, and then I was a part of it again in the CFC. So I got two opportunities, which is really great. That's um, great. Cause you, um, yeah, it's so like, that's like you know, that was also a big wish of mine when I was in high school and I applied to universities, that was what I was hoping to do. And then I went to right. a university that had an orchestra. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you ended up come going on, in the singer songwriter program. <laughs> yeah. So you, you've done a lot in a short amount of time in terms of the different projects. And we'll talk about some of those, but do uh, you find, I mean, just sort of dealing with like the personality aspect of it and the politics we were talking before this started, about some of the more challenging experiences you've been through, do you have a sense now where you really are aware of where you want to say no, and where you're sort of defining this is the direction I want to go, and this is the direction I don't want. These are the red flags you're seeing now. Are you being choosier? Are you being more reluctant to take on certain things?
1: No, for me, maybe it's the opposite. I'm a lot more like cool. You know, like I'm just like. You like that? Perfect. I, I'm. I, there's sometimes where I might, if I'm really, for example, like a cue that you you really like, um, and they don't like it. Um, mm-hmm. I will really only, like now. I really listen to whoever's saying they don't like it try everything I can to change it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And if I still am not there, then I'll ask for clarification. Like, I think what I'm trying to get at is, like, sometimes you can just be wrong and the cue isn't right, even though you love it so much. And I think right. what's important, too, is I've I've gotten, you detach yourself a little bit. Like, I love the projects I work on a lot of times. Like, I often identify with the characters. or I, yeah. I You know, sometimes you get, you're so inspired, you're spending all night working on it. But you still have to be like, it's not your baby it's not that's it's not your project so I think um, you're, you're part of the team basically so you have to listen to everybody and um, be cool if you're what you may what you may want it just isn't right and sometimes I, I've found there's been times where I've almost been like Oh, but I want to do this and then I'm really glad I didn't say it because Mm, it ended mm -hmm. up being the right thing if I just took the time to really suss out what they were saying really what they were saying and this is why I take copious notes in all our spot sessions or whatever I really hone in on what exactly did they say what adjective oh they said scary but soft Mm -hmm. not what I did which was scary and like razors you know so mm-hmm. I take that approach more and I think it's a a, a much nicer way to work mm-hmm. than, um, you know, trying to get your thought too much across. But you still have to, It's not. I, I still have my opinions. I still, um, you know, in a nice way will we'll offer a different thought, but I'm just kind of more like, cool, let's do that, that kind of thing. And for projects, I just, um, I'm just excited to work on lots of stuff. So I, I'm not too like depending like, there's some stuff i I love fantasy
2: yeah
1: you know like ruby in the Well is like the thing like i that's that's the kind of stuff i love to write for um and there's other stuff that i'm like less excited but then when you get into it you're like oh i'm so glad i took this it's i'm doing all kinds of new stuff so i'm just open to like what i don't know
0: mm-hmm. yeah tell me a bit about ruby in the Well. how did that sort of come about that's that's a more recent project obviously you did a lot of stuff on your own before that uh, and now you're working with uh, co-composer, Rob Carley. Mm-hmm. That's an, that must be an interesting dynamic. So tell me a bit about that show. What's it about? How did you get on it? And what's, what's been your path, your sort of journey through that whole thing?
1: Yeah, it's such a beautiful show. So it's about um, a young girl who basically moves with her father to an apple orchard that they've inherited. And basically, I have to say it without spoilers, but basically she finds a magic well. In the backyard of the orchard and it gives her visions of people's wishes that they've thought of and it gets into the well somehow mm-hmm. so every episode is her solving the wish ah. and solving people's helping people solve problems and they can often be really big problems and what's beautiful about it is it's about like resourceful kids who want to be good people and it's all kinds of like wholesome life lessons and doing good for others, um, all wrapped into like the, you know, the magicness of this amazing well that gives her these epic wishes mm. and it's really beautiful and spiritual and there's great cinematography in it too, which I find very inspiring. I'm sure Rob does too. We always talk about the light flares. There's always like really cool light flares that <laughs> I just love.
0: And, and what's been your experience? Cause I know, I mean, you've done, again, as I said, a lot of stuff on your own, and now you're working with Rob as a co-composer, uh, and, and Rob is, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows, you know, Rob Carley's been on Murdoch Mysteries for the last, what, 17 years or something like that. It's been an extraordinary run. He's yeah. been working on all sorts of, you sort of like one of Canada's most preeminent composers. Uh, was that yeah. intimidating? Uh, was it, I mean, I'm, yes. I'm assuming that he became a, a sort of mentor to you and that you've learned a lot from working with him. Um, and how does that whole collaboration work? Because that's, that's a whole other thing.
1: Yeah. Well, so first of all, like Rob is such a chiller and he's so down to earth that it wasn't that he was intimidating, but obviously when I heard that Rob and I were getting paired up, I was like, what? Me? Um, <laughs> so I was very like, what? Uh, whoa. But I just basically took it like, okay, there must be something I, I'm, I can offer that, that there's a reason I'm being hired. And a part of that was the experimental vocals that I do because right. it really does work well with The Wish. Yeah. And it's funny, when they first mentioned it, I was a bit like, I, I, I knew that it would work well for the well. I already was like, boom, I'm going to do some crazy cool textures and do some f- like really uh, you know, ethereal vocals. But I, I wasn't actually sure about, I was like, oh, are we going to use vocals for anything else? I don't know. And we ended up using vocals for a lot of stuff and it really is a part of the sound and it worked well. So um, it's ah, cool no because... no pun intended. Yeah, I know. I the, there's how you know there's there's a lot of well talk. Yeah, um, it's been awesome. It's amazing to work with Rob. Obviously, he's insanely gifted and super experienced. So it's it's really cool to get to collaborate with him. And I've definitely learned so much. And um, and it's cool to like he'll start a cue and then I'll continue it sometimes or vice versa because okay. we just right. we just divvy up the cues kind of indiscriminately. It's okay, just whatever well. we want to take. And, and like, and then we just like, either we'll, um, Frankenstein them together. So like, we'll have done two separate cues completely of our own minds and, but we got into a good flow that we kind of, it, it, we were able to kind of write separately, but sounding kind of similar. And also we had themes. Um, so basically we would just kind of stitch them together. Or they would just end completely and it would be just like, you know, Rob, mm-hmm. Laura, Rob, Laura, or, you know, Rob, yeah. Rob, you know, Laura, Laura. So that's that's how we did it. And it, it was cool. It's a very eclectic story. And um, the style of Ruby and the Well bodes well for two composers doing that, I think, because we, we do have a very eclectic score. Right. Lots of instruments okay, and and lots of emotions and action and adventure. So I actually it worked really well.
0: There's an element of folk kind of tone Mm -hmm. to it, a folkloric kind of tonality. And that seems to be a thread in all of the stuff that you've done that I've heard is that, um, and and this is sort of going to your album, uh, To the North, which you released in 2015. You would describe it as progressive electronic art folk. Uh uh, And I think that's... Sounds so pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) But it is apt. I think that actually describes Uh, it quite well. I think it is. (laughs) I haven't
1: read this in so long. Like you're just pulling out all this stuff from (laughs) (laughs) my past.
0: (laughs) So there's like this idea, like folk seems to be something that's tying a lot of the stuff that you've done together and also the voice. Yeah, uh, it's interesting how all that stuff sort of pulls together. Is that is is that a conscious thing for you? Like, what is it about? Like, what does folk music mean to you? Like, when you think about folk and how you're using it, and how you're yeah. using your voice, is that a conscious thing? Or like, what is the, what what is, where does that live in your head?
1: I think I'm just naturally. That's the style of music that I naturally wrote as a kid. I was very like. We also listen to a lot of Lorena McKennett, and, you know, mm-hmm. in the house, and yeah. other. so very
0: cinematic music too.
1: Yeah, and and Joan Baez, and and that kind of really moody,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, kind of folk enya, right? Um, so I think that just like that's that's just the way I write. Like when I sit down at the piano, it it tends to go to the more like moody, haunting folk kind of feel.
0: So another uh, kind of you know slightly uh, life changing event that happened while you were working with Rob on that second season was you uh the birth of your of your child yes. <laughs> just shortly before season two there came season one of something completely different like that must have been i mean to again this is like talking about tight compressed timelines you're like again you're back in the position of like well you can't get into this program unless you learn to play the violin and now you're like you're gonna have to do <laughs> season two with a newborn child how yeah. did you manage that
1: oh god
0: or first of all actually i should ask what went through your head when that was sort of all coming together that you're going to have to do this? Did you think there's no way, or were you optimistic about it? What was the sort of first thought?
1: No, I knew I was like we're going to do it, and luckily okay. I have a very supportive family. Like, my husband's amazing, and my parents are so like my father. My dad called me up. He's like, your mother and I have spoken. We have it all planned out, and he just like, was, like they also <laughs> very excited for a grandchild. So they and they know like they've been more supportive. Of me in my career than I have for sure. I feel like I would have quit way way earlier had my oh, dad. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, for some, my dad was like, "No, you like keep going." Every time I wanted to quit, he was like, ah, "Okay." And um, so they they've just been so supportive. So basically, I got pregnant right when the season one start started, okay. which is yeah. funny. Yeah. So I did season one pregnant, and then I was like, "Oh yeah," when season two comes, Lincoln will be old enough. And then season two came like right away. Oh, wow. kid, so so actually the my due date was the picture lock date. As it <laughs> nice. happened, once we got the schedule, yeah. I was like, "What April 4th? So so yeah, but we luckily didn't have to start until two weeks after actually because they had baked yeah. in a little extra time. So just okay. So I had my son April fifth, and then we started two weeks after, and wow. it was just like away you go. Um. Luckily, you know there, and I think that like I hope this can be helpful to other people watching. Um. No, you know, that may be thinking about families or, you know, how am I going to do it? Because I definitely scoured the internet. I called all my amazing composer mom friends like Sarah Sleen and Suad and and they were wonderful. And they're amazing. Like, they've done so much. So, I mean, I don't even know how they do what they do. Um But basically, they do sleep a lot at the beginning. So I had all, I still have like the Mamoru here. <laughs> uh, my students, so I felt like Lincoln was in that a lot of times right. and I would be writing yeah. or stemming or whatever and I used my headphones and um, and I just worked whenever he slept and then also my mom was here a lot so that, that was a big caveat to this was my mother was here basically especially the last two months she was basically here 9 to 5 all the weekdays pretty much I mean sometimes I would we would finish early or or I, you know, I wouldn't, I would be with Lincoln that day, but, um, yeah, she was here a lot, which was very helpful because they get, you know, they get to, they need lots of attention once they're, sure. you know, a little older. So, yeah. so yeah, it is doable and you just have to be cool with not sleeping, mm-hmm. which I essentially was, um, and I'm still not sleeping, so nothing much has changed still <laughs> so waking me up every two to three hours so right. brutal <laughs> yeah. but yeah it was, it was pretty it was intense i have to say like it, it, there was times where i was falling asleep while working oh, wow. for sure and and i was working like i did one of my deliveries at, like four in the morning because that's when lincoln was sleeping mm-hmm. um but i think we all do that like i feel like also the way i thought of it was okay well how different is this than a composer who works on two series at the same time and there's so many of them. So really, I, I was kind of like, you know what? We're going to do it. And there, there yeah. is a di- the only difference is you have another life <laughs> to think sure. about. So there, yeah. where, where, where you might be able to put something on the back burner, you can't put your son on the back burner. So yeah. it was my, my, like, the biggest thing for me was Lincoln should never basically know, like, the, my work shouldn't affect Lincoln right which I, I never rushed him whatever however long he wanted to nurse however long he wanted to sleep in my arms if he happened to my arms i would just let him and then i would just catch up whenever i had the time
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then same goes for my work they also shouldn't like who that's not their uh, problem right so they shouldn't be affected by my personal life mm-hmm. so so we just basically um me and my family just like did it and also and rob was fantastic we like you know rob was very understanding and um and you know but i i, I tried my best not to let it affect rob too as much as possible but right. you know a few times we, we do each other solids you know
0: there's um there's something in that i mean like I, I i i'm really interested in you know examining the modern life that we lead and sort of like you know the benefits to. What we experience in terms of civilization and technology, and then there's some real serious downsides uh one of those downsides seems to be the the idea of community and family being close and being connected and and having everyone sort of pitch in you know used to be it takes a village uh and that's sort of something that's like no now parents just sort of grind it out on their own and it's really tough, even for parents that don't have you know these kind of ultra demanding uh jobs, which it's not even so much. The time, which it is, it's the creative. Like you have to have your brain functioning properly and just be like really clear, and go like I need an idea now and I need it to work and I need to get after it and get it done today. Mm-hmm. So where's that? And if you have any kind of fog or you know you haven't been sleeping well, that's that's uh, that gets really tough.
1: It does get tough. So, there, the, so yeah, by the end of it, I will say by the end, I was so exhausted. I was like beyond exhausted. <laughs> so you, so it was this like. Like it was kind of, you know, but I feel, I feel like us as composers, we know it. Like you just get into a mindset and no matter what, you're just going to do it. You're just, you're doing it. Luckily it, it did go it went quite well. Like I, I, um, I'm really proud of our work. There were some cues that I, I loved writing and I worked out so beautifully and never missed a spotting session. We had fun in our spotting sessions. Like I, I, I enjoyed my life most mm-hmm. of the time. There were wow, sometimes where great. it was. There were sometimes where it was hell, <laughs> because you know you're you're up all night, or or you know things aren't going well here and there. But for the most part, I was really happy and just so grateful that I have a beautiful son, have this amazing job, like yeah, you really can't complain. But the timing, I mean, the due date being on the picture lock date, I just find that's, that funny.
0: It was pretty. The crazy.
1: timing was, but it, in in the end, it all it all really worked out.
0: Apart from you know trying to balance a, a career, being a mother, and and you know growing your scoring career, what's what do you what would you say right now is one of the biggest challenges that you're facing?
1: Challenges I'm facing, uh, honestly, probably the technical stuff. To be just brutally honest, I like okay. there's so much stuff to fix. I, it's just it's like every like oh man. It's. I have like a whole list right over there of just like I have to reinstall ozone. <laughs> I need to now. I need to get different hard drives because my hard drives are too full. So that if, that for me it is a technical stuff, and I find oh, that oh. I half the time I'm like, oh, I could write this so much faster if I just had a better handle, and and that's my goal. My maternity leave right now.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> which by the way <laughs> With is air quotes for us, well, for everyone like, now watching on the video.
1: Well, yeah. Oh, right. Um. Maternally, because it's, it really is so busy. That's the thing is, is now sure. that uh, Lincoln is six months old, it's like it's so busy uh, being with him. But uh, my plan is to really get a handle on all the tech stuff, and I will get it done. I just, you uh, know, I mean,
0: it's, 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 a f- I, I was telling my mom was here for a short visit, and she sort of asked me, like, you know, about the job and, and business and all that kind of I stuff. And mean, one of the things I said, look, I mean, what I do now, what all of us do now, is what it used to take 30 people to do. You know, it's like a job yeah. that incorporates, I mean, just imagine if Beethoven had to deal with installing software updates or something like that.
2: Yes. He'd lose his mind. Um,
0: What do you think, like, what what to you is the. Because, I mean, some of us, uh, Neil Parfit, you know, don't. That's sort of part of the joy. Like, I think he actually likes the technology and that those, well, he's probably going to deny this vigorously now that i've said it in that way because he probably doesn't enjoy some a lot of the stuff but you know some people have more aptitude and proclivity towards one thing or the other is that something that just wasn't in your wheelhouse uh or is it just like do you think that's just the day-to-day like the kind of things that just frustrates you because it's getting in the way of you wanting to do other things
1: oh it's totally not in my wheelhouse that's the Mm. thing and and it, it it you mentioned Neil. He, uh, I mean, I view him as having an aptitude for that. He just seems yeah. like he just. And there's people I meet. I mean, a lot of people I meet that just they're good at that. And mm-hmm. I'm an acoustic person. I was. I never did any technology as a kid. Really, I I know how to pick up instruments and play them. Maybe, but the technology was really difficult. And that's. I did a master's of music technology. That's my right. My master's, and. I try not to say that very often because I really am not a master (laughs) like it it, it, you'll explain to me and I'm like what like it just it takes so long for me to get it it's interesting it takes because I have to do things tactically I have to Ah, do it a lot and there's so much you're doing I feel like you don't get it I haven't gotten enough time at least maybe that's what it is um, to just really master it I think the the 10,000 hours thing you're just there's so many different things you're doing with film scoring I haven't had a chance to really Focusing on the, you know, mastering yeah. this one plugin, for example.
0: One thing you mentioned, though, that is kind of a throwaway that you didn't really put a pin on was this idea of tactical, or not tactical, tact. No way. Tactile. Am I saying Tactile, thank you. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tactile, like to put your hands on something and to, to be able to. F- just feel what it's like to do a certain move on a fader or like on an EQ that's like sitting right in front of you and just go, Oh, these turn this knob." Like that's the whole I, way that most of us learn how to play instruments. It's like learning how to speak. You just make ba ma, ma, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. until and then people go, no mama, mama. And you go, Oh mama, mama. And this means that, and you put these things together. Whereas like it, in a way you're sort of pointing out what's not necessarily so apparent, but all the stuff that's in a program in a computer is so abstract. Like it's not, I can see why people like, it's, oh, it's not, it, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, makes and I sense think, to me in a weird way.
1: I, I like, I, I always think like, oh man, I wish I had the minority port report. I need, right. the, I need yeah. like an alien. I need something that's like that.
0: Right. And Have just, you ever like used like a, like not a keyboard. Or a Raven, you know, you remember the Ravens? I mean, they're not really used no. much anymore, but they're like those big, or like a just an iPad with all the different things you can put on it. I you just ever haven't tried gotten there. Those? I've seen yeah, those yeah, yeah. and I've yeah. I've
1: messaged a few friends like, oh, which one is that do you have? I'm constantly like, I save so many. I have like right. a whole archive of like <laughs> oh, saved God. links from Facebook and yeah. it's it's just, how do you have the time to actually get all these things? I think it sure. just takes time, right? And I think that's the the, the part of our job is You just need to put the time in, right? And getting the right gear and getting what's right for you. I mean, how many times you buy a sample library and you're like, oh, great. I just spent 400 bucks and it's not the right one and you can't return it. So I think it's also learning like what products, software is going to be good for you.
0: Yeah. Well, we need we need some sort of consultancy that where someone comes into your student interviews you and you're like, what kind of person are you? What, how's your brain work? What kind of things do you like? And it's then true. they tell you all the things you should buy, and they set it up for you. you go now, you're going to work like this. And you're like, perfect, I get it, it makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then you pay too much money that. for that, and you have to like do six jobs in order to make it up. So, <laughs> what's next for you? You were you you were talking about something you didn't really want to talk about, but it's sort of bubbling away in the horizon
1: so the nothing which was my cfc showcase piece yep. i we we you get to do your own film at the end of the cfc and i was mm-hmm. like oh man this is my shot so i like really i i put a lot into that and i um i asked to direct it which um took them a while to let me do and eventually it was because that we couldn't really find a director but basically i got to direct my own the nothing showcase and it worked out really well i used that as a proof of concept for this album that's about sleep paralysis and, and depression and mental health issues. I applied for an OAC grant. I've applied for so many of them I never get a grant. I've applied. F- I applied for the first album didn't get them, so I've applied for like at least fifteen grants. Do the OAC grant. I put in an email that isn't my email. It's the Whoops. email for the the nothing production, like because we oh, were okay. sharing it with a few with a, another producer that I'd run at the time, and I did not forward that email properly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I actually have a memory of the rejection letter, too, which is really weird. I, for sure, oh. was like, oh, I didn't get it, ah, as usual. And then, I get this, like, unknown number calls me, and I'm like, oh, hmm. hello. And she goes, uh, hi, I'm looking for Laura about your OAC grant. I was like, no, I didn't get an OAC grant. She's like, yes, you did. I was like, no, I didn't. She's like, yes, we've been trying to contact you. You have gotten a grant. So, so... Please, if if anyone could take anything away, make sure your application has the right email, <laughs> and that you have forwarded. That's just the biggest rookie move, especially because like I I'm I tend to comb through it. You know, you make sure everything is. And sure. it was a lapse. I I didn't even mean to put that email in. Yeah. It was, I don't even know what happened there, but I, I was like... What's so interesting
0: like, to me is like that you you had this like, it was almost like you determined right from the outset that you weren't going to get it.
1: I know. It was, and, like, and, it was like
0: a pre, um, what do you call it? A, a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way.
1: Oh, and I was about to lose it basically because she had tried to contact right. me. I have no voicemail on my phone. So had wow. she had I not answered that unknown number, she would have gone, okay, this girl does not get it. Yeah. And they would have given it away. So luckily <gasps> I answered it. I apologized profusely, of course. I was right. like, I'm really sorry. Like, that's so bad, because that's just such a rookie move. Anyways, um, yeah, make sure your application, <laughs> have everybody proofread it. And uh, so anyway, so I have this grant, uh, but then um, when I found out, I was like, I'm about to have a baby. I'm going to be starting season two of Ruby in the Well soon. Um, they gave me an extension. So basically, oh, it's nice. on the back burner. Yeah. And um, But I, I've got some songs that I really am excited to Write for it. I've kind of forgotten them all because it's been so long now. But it's gonna. It's basically it's a visual album, so it's gonna have a short film. It's gonna oh, be cool. a score. Wow. So this was the pitch. It's it's a score with a short film, and then a a bunch of songs, and so I and I always envision like this awesome performance where where like I think the short film plays first, and then the end credits come in, and then the band comes in, and then it's a whole show. That cool. and then we do the we do the short film live nice yeah so it, it, it is such an exciting i think about it, I'm like oh man i want to do it so bad but it's it's such a lot of work and you want to get it right of course and uh yeah but it's it's nice to finally have gotten a grant so that's
0: awesome well congratulations Thank and uh, we can all look forward to that in the meantime everyone can check out your uh previous album uh which is on uh spotify and everywhere else i'm assuming where you can get albums called to the north which is really great, really beautiful, very... Again, it's that that combination of sort of a cinematic, folkloric kind of uh, romp down, yeah, really sort of textural, um, beautiful avenues. Thank you. Uh, any parting words for the audience? Any last uh, things you want to leave us with?
1: I gave this some, some thought because you mentioned this before. I guess what I could say is, I feel like this career is all about the little s- stepping stones. Mm. And so, you know, because sometimes you know, you're just working on a short film, you're like, oh, it's just a short film, but you never know who you're working with on that short film. You never know who's going to go on and do amazing, great things. You never know the score you're about to write. You might write a killer score. Maybe the short film isn't great, but you've written something that's really great for your demo reel or that you submit to an award. Or you also never know, you have, you meet one person at an event, five minute talk, and then for some reason you're working together again, they've had a really good impression on you and it works out really well. I'm just saying that it's all about the little things. And so many times um, the smallest meeting has meant a lot. A small short film has ended up meaning a lot to me and my career. And uh, the connections just kind of bumble along and start connecting to an even bigger thing. I would just say wherever you are in your place as a composer, you're probably in the right spot and just keep on going, you know? that's it that's great yeah.
0: oh i love that and certainly your career has been you know living proof of of that being being a, a good advice you know you've done a lot of work in that very short amount of time so huge congratulations to you on that it's amazing and uh, i look forward to seeing what's next and hopefully hearing that and seeing that uh, incredible album project and uh thanks. yeah seeing all the all the neat new projects you're going to be working on in the future
1: wow. laura this
0: has been a real pleasure thanks for taking the time
1: It really has been. You're such a great interviewer. This was such a fun talk. So thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Have a great night.
1: You too. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can support us by giving the show a five-star rating and sharing the episodes and tagging us at Screen Composers. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at tscs at screencomposers.ca. For more information on the SCGC, please visit www.screencomposers.ca and follow us online at Screen Composers. The Screen Composers Studio is produced by myself, Adrian Ellis. Editing, graphics, audio, and video post-production by Nick Grimshaw. Special thanks to our Managing Director, Tanya Dedrick, as well as the SoCAN Foundation for financial support.